Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Hallelujah. Why don't you just invite the Spirit of God to come speak to you tonight? Pastor Daniel and Pastor Karen have given me the great privilege to declare the word of the Lord. Why don't you just pray, open your heart, open your ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. So Father, come speak to us tonight as we continue looking passage by passage in the book of James. Holy Spirit, come. Give us these ears to hear what you're saying. We long to hear from you. Give me an anointing to declare the word tonight that it might be life-changing. We might be impacted and our children impacted on this family night, knowing we have children and youth intentionally included in our Sunday night service so that they could hear the word be impacted. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. If you would, take your Bible, and uh, we're going to stand in just a moment for the reading of the Word as we honor the Word. If you're able to stand, we'll do that in a moment. Book of James. Ushers have notes uh, so you can follow along and fill in. Fill in the blanks. And uh, hopefully receive something life-changing from the Word of the Lord here. We're going to look at the next section in James. We've been Studies in the book of James. Wow, there's a riveting title. Pastor Daniel uh, invited me to preach tonight. Thank you so much, Pastor Daniel, for giving me the privilege to preach this morning and tonight the word of the Lord. We've been walking through James. And if you haven't noticed by now, we have issues well, maybe not you, but I have issues. And anybody breathing has issues, right? And James is a great text to draw out those issues. And James is not real nice with some of the way he addresses our issues. Come on, James. Not very... Uh, kind in some way. Sometimes it's a little bit brutal in some areas, especially when he's talking about the tongue, right? Ooh, ouch. You're so courageous being here on Sunday night as we've been walking through James, because it hasn't been really a, a, a series that makes you feel good about yourself. It's been one of those series where you just kind of go, ooh. You just want to skip some of this. And tonight, wow, James holds, no, holds back no punches. He's kind of brutal tonight. Wow. With his words and descriptions. Fasten your seatbelt. Because James is going to speak to us as we look at this next section. All right, now would you stand with me if you're able to, and let's read James 5, 
We're going to read verse 1 to 6. I'm reading from the NIV. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Aren't you glad you came to be encouraged by the word of the Lord from the book of James? You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Father, help us. We might need to pray again. Lord, help us hear what James is saying because I'm terrified in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Wow. James is not a nice guy. Our culture, this this particular word tonight is don't be enamored with wealth. And I want to make sure I clearly communicate, and I'm so glad we have young people in our service tonight and children. Because this word, applied correctly, can set you up for God to prosper you for the rest of your life and to live in the blessing of God, which is his plan. That is God's great intention, to bless. He's a blesser. You can't read the Old Testament and look at its heroes without realizing undoubtedly God increases and provides and multiplies and blesses people that obey him and live righteous. So what is this about? Who are these people that he's, James is railing against? Our culture around us, as we introduce this message, is enamored with wealth. I'm going to date myself here a little bit, and I did it this morning when I brought up the old game show, Secret Password. The password is... You guys remember that? Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Did anybody watch that? Oh, you couldn't wait to see the next boat. Or how many cars they, this person had. Or the size of the house. And you sat there, and if you're not familiar with what I just brought up, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, don't, don't raise your hand if you don't know what I'm talking about. Just, just nod your head and encourage me. I know I just dated myself. But it used to be an evening program, and we would all, after dinner, sit around and marvel at what some ultra-wealthy person is, their lifestyle, and their living, and they'd show their silverware and their dinnerware, and you just, you dream of living in that world. You're just like, oh, imagine, what if? And the guy spoke with, the the host would speak with this ultra-British accent, and it just made it even more spectacular 
You know, because British accents make something seem a little more extravagant, I guess. What was that guy's name? Does anybody remember that guy's name? Oh, hand clap right over here. Robin Leach. Well, those, those kind of shows are still on today. They're in different forms. Discovery Channel will have super yachts. And so you watch this show about people that can afford, you know, $6 trillion boats. And they look at the boats and they show automatic things lifting up. And they got the little, the swimming pool inside the, and you're just, we're enamored with the lifestyle of somebody who is ultra wealthy. You, any of anybody who's a um, sports fan, which I used to be a super sports fan. I hardly watch it anymore. But it always amazes me at these contracts that sports stars are, are getting now. If they throw a few touchdowns in a season, they hold out for a huge contract, and then the next year they don't hardly throw any touchdowns. But they got their money. They're incredible contracts. Wow. We look at that and go, if only, if only. So who are these wealthy people that James is beating up with these words? Who's he treating so harshly? Well, who is wealthy? Who are rich people? That is a relative term, isn't it? Relative to the world around you. When I was 14 years old, my, my dad signed me up. He might be on right now. What a wonderful thing to have a dad that'll sign you up to serve God, whether you wanted to or not. And I thank God my dad, at 12 years old, my dad signed me up to join the puppet team at our local church. I didn't want to go. It was my Saturday morning. They had practice at 8 o'clock. For a 12-year-old, it was a nightmare. I didn't want to get up and go down there and stick a puppet on my hand. Practice a song. Dad, thank you so much. Tens of thousands of kids have been impacted because you signed me up to serve the kingdom of God with puppets. What a blessing to have a dad that'll sign you up to serve God. How many of you know your kids don't know how blessed they are to have you? You're the greatest thing that ever happened to them. My dad signed me up to go on a missions trip at 14 years old. And so we left the United States, got on a plane, and went to Monterey, Mexico. And I encountered a life change when I saw the poverty level in Monterey, Mexico. Forever changed my life. Saw kids digging in trash cans to find something to eat. Saw kids not hardly wearing anything come up and beg you and beg you with tears in their eyes to buy one piece of gum from them. So who are the rich? It's a relative term. I took my 
I, I led a mission. That, that trip so impacted me that I've led many of my own trips. And the first time we went to uh, the Philippines, leading a trip there, I encountered something that, changed, that continued to shape my life and perspective about what does it mean to be wealthy, rich, you could use those terms interchangeably, when we were invited to go to a hospital in Tacloban City. I did not know what I was about to encounter. And I'm not sure I can still tell about it. Because when we went in that hospital, there were people, it's so crowded, there's sick people, injured people, hurt people laying all over the floors in the hospital. No one's taking care of them. They're laying there hoping somebody, a nurse or a doctor, will have enough time to get them in. They're just laying everywhere. We went to, what is it called? Where they have all the babies? New babies place. What's it called? Okay, the place where all the new babies are. We were invited to take our team in there and to pray for babies. So we walk into this room. We honestly couldn't hardly mutter a word because there's brand new babies laying on cardboard. No one's taking care of them. They're crying. They're moving around. No one's caring for them. It was so difficult to walk out of that hospital. Forever burned into my mind, what does it mean to be wealthy? We did a feeding, we helped at many feeding programs in our trips to the Philippines. I've been there many times. Go into these local, or not local, but kind of remote areas. And we were, they would bring out a big pot of watery, watery soup. And there would be, I don't know, several hundred children line up with anything that would hold it not clean bowls and spoons, and maybe it's a dirty cup, maybe it's a hat, whatever could hold. Joy, you went there with us. I can't remember which one you went on. It's been many times. I do remember what you ate and how it didn't turn out exactly like we wanted it to. Different story, let's move on. You can ask Joy about that marvelous experience. Those people would look at you and I like lifestyles of the rich and famous. We look at people who make tens of, you know, tens of millions of dollars per basketball game as ultra rich and famous, but somebody like that looks at you and I with envy. What do you mean you get to choose what clothes you wear? You mean you have more than one set of clothes to wear? We did children's outreaches where children would come running by with no clothes on or just one shirt, and that's all they owned. That's it. That's a whole different way of looking at your life today. So who are these people that James is talking to? What makes someone wealthy? At what line do you cross 
What line does someone cross where now you consider them a wealthy person? Is it a bank account number? Is it possessions? That's a really good question. So who is it James is beating up about their wealth? Well, what I want you to hear today is it's, it's not people who had money in their bank account that he's railing against. It's how they were handling it. It's their perspective of it and what they were doing with it is what James, it's the heart of what James is going after. And it's not the only time that James mentions and points words right at wealthy people. Because in the church, James is, is uh, writing to, there's a number of people that they would consider wealthy. In James 1.10, take a look at that real quick. James 1, verse 10. We've already gone over this, but just to remind us, James writes, the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. <clears throat> In chapter 2, James points out and is dealing with, and we, we went through this with Pastor Daniel, uh, of people showing favoritism only to the rich people and to nobody else. Also in chapter two, James is encouraging the church, you should be rich in faith. And then James four, last Sunday night, which was a powerful service here on Sunday night, Pastor da Daniel brought forth these people that would boast about how they're living life and their riches and their money were so much that they could just do whatever they want and they didn't perceive there would be anything wrong with the way they were going to do this tomorrow, that tomorrow, because they had plenty of money to cover for everything. So that same theme, we find these because there were people who were proud of their wealth and had put their trust in wealth. I'm in your notes now and that's who he's talking to there's people who were proud of their wealth they had something nobody else had and they were proud of it a volume or a possession or their perception is what he's talking about see people that put their trust in wealth and people who build their identity based on money in the bank People that build their, their perception of who God is by what they own are in for a rude awakening when God comes and slaps them and says, that's just not the way it is. They're lining themselves up for correction from the Lord for putting their hope in wealth. James' message. Let's take a look at what he's saying to these folks you know, in such an unkind way in chapter five. Remember, it's the people who are arrogantly proud of their wealth and they're putting their hope in wealth. The first thing that he's telling them is repent 
for being prideful of what you own and somebody else doesn't own. Be repenting, repent for putting your hope in wealth. The issue is, do they own wealth or does wealth own them? And that is the issue that James is getting at right off the bat. Do you own money or does money own you? Do you own possessions or do they own you? That is a great question. And that's what James is going right at here. Who owns who in your life? You know, we can be extremely wealthy and still walk humbly because it's an attitude, it's a condition of the heart. I have no doubt that out of this house, people that have, I'm just as a side note, people that have sacrificially planted seed into Project Zek are going to reap tremendous fruitfulness financially from the Lord. When that takes place and your income or your promotion or your elevation increases, are you still able to acknowledge that Jesus is the one who's made everything happen for you? That's what he's getting at here to those folks whose attitude is they produced everything themselves. It's from their own intuition, wisdom, knowledge, giftings. They did it all themselves. James is making it clear. We got to be wealthy and humble because if we're not humble, God will humble us. If one doesn't humble themselves, there will be great loss. Look at the way he described it in James. The, the way that loss will come upon them. Rotted, moths eating your clothes, corroded gold and silver. Yikes. Eat your flesh like fire. Great loss coming to those who have, with their, uh, with their wealth, have the attitude of pride and arrogance, not humbleness. James is making it clear if they aren't careful with wealth and how they use it, it can destroy them. James is very graphic. He's, he's describing graphically the real issue of their heart with their, their possessions. Greed, you know, greed doesn't care how much money you have in the bank. Greed is a heart issue. It's not a bank account issue. I have, have you ever heard, well, I don't want to say it that way. I, we've had people from many years ago when we lived in Maui, they this one particular couple had this philosophy of life. One day when I get ahead, then I will serve more, give more, pray more, whatever. I just got to get ahead. I just got to get ahead. What they're referring to is how much money they had in the bank. Problem is they never perceived they were ahead enough. And still to this day, they've missed out on so much serving and giving and praying in the kingdom of God. 
because they've never perceived they were enough ahead. What does that mean? You and I have to contend with greed. It's a, it's a uh, built-in piece of our sinful nature. The writers of the New Testament condemn it along with other acts of the sinful nature. They link it on the same level as murder, sexual immorality, lying. They put greed right there with it. The acts of the sinful nature. Greed is a real thing and it doesn't matter how much you already own or how much is in the bank because it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with this. It has to do with trusting God as our provider. If one doesn't humble themselves, there'll be great loss. Next thing James is saying is worldly wealth cannot last. You can't take it with you past this life. There is a way for eternity to be impacted by your wealth. What is that way? Jesus makes it clear, you can store up treasure in heaven. You can use your wealth to invest in the kingdom of God, which has eternal value tied to it. It's the only way you can take anything from this life into eternity, is make it aimed at the kingdom of God here, and it will have a direct result there. Take a look at Philippians. Real quick, turn to the book of Philippians. Paul writes to the Philippian church a very interesting phrase. Chapter 4, verse 17. The church in Philippi had been helping Paul with his ministry and journeys, and they've been giving him food and monies and supplies along the way. And Paul, uh, Paul writes to them, says, verse 17, not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your, anyone? Account. You have an account in heaven. And you can make deposits in it. Giving, serving, praying has a direct impact on your heavenly account. Your wealth that you have today can affect that eternal account. James is saying if they're not careful with their wealth and how they use it, it could destroy them. The rich folks that he's addressing have hoarded wealth in the last days. What is he saying there? Back in our text in James chapter 5, he points out that they are hoarding wealth. In the last days, he's pointing out that they've got the wrong perception of what should be happening with their possessions and their monies, that their perception is off, that somehow self-preservation is what the purpose of their wealth is. Let me make sure I say that again. It's because I don't want to say it in a confusing way. That somehow their money and their wealth and their possessions were for self-preservation. Please hear me. Our preservation comes from the King of Kings. 
He's the one who's the healer, the restorer of broken walls, the mender. He's the one who provides. Our security is in him, not a bank, not in a paycheck, not in the government throwing money at you. That's not where our security is. It's in the living God as the source of whatever we need. God gives us wealth. It's a great thing. And he gives it for, for reasons. It's intentional. I want you to look at what Paul writes just for a, a moment and to Timothy. So would you turn to 1 Timothy as we take a look at purposes of wealth? Let's look at chapter 6, verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You're supposed to enjoy the things that God gives you. Hey, all the kids say, ha! Oh, my voice is, my voice is really shot to, after this morning. Hey, God makes things, all the kids hear me. God gives you and your family things to enjoy. Enjoy the things he gives you without focusing on the things he didn't give you. That was a word for all the kids and youth. Put your focus on what has God given me that I can be excited and enjoy, not look what he gave someone else and didn't give me. Bum, bum, bum. Wrong perspective. Bang, you failed the test. God gives us things for our enjoyment. Thank you. I've done so many puppet shows for the last 30 years that uh, my voice can't do what it used to. So sorry. To do good works, to give, to share. The purposes of God blessing you is to be a blessing. James also points out, yikes, James points out to these rich people who are hoarding wealth that they owe people money and they're not paying them. Yikes. You know, God is concerned about you paying your bills. Hey, let me, let me make that clear. Because I heard all I heard was crickets across the room. Crickets, crickets. God is concerned about your stewardship. You may not realize it or not, but your stewardship is directly linked to how well God can bless you. They're connected. Luke 16, 10, whoever is faithful with little will also be faithful with much. Whoever cannot be trusted with worldly love, uh, with very whoever cannot be trusted with little cannot be trusted with much. That's a principle from Jesus. That has everything to do with stewardship. You know, you're, if you, don't pay your bills and whoever you owe money has to keep coming to you, what does that make the living God look like? 
And then you're going to invite them to church. Come worship God with me. Oh, I'll pay you on, I'll gladly pay you on Tuesday for a hamburger today. I think I just dated myself again. Not one child has any idea what I just said. Yikes. James is saying that they have only been concerned about self. That their whole world is about themselves. Well, Lord, set us free. Help us tonight because we want God to bless us. We want God to increase us. We want God to prosper us. So what is it God is saying to us? First of all, is it a sin to be wealthy? Come on, say it with me. No. It's not evil to be wealthy. That's, that's a blessing from God. Come on, you cannot look at the Old Testament heroes and not realize that he blessed them abundantly. Question is, how is that wealth acquired? Have you spent much time in Proverbs? If you've spent much time in the book of Proverbs, you realize God is against acquiring wealth the wrong way. He is totally against cheating people, robbing people, shortchanging people, working a cash register and their change is X, but you changed it a little bit and put some in your pocket on the way out. God is totally against that. Unbalanced scales are an abomination to him. You can't read Proverbs without realizing God is against getting wealth the wrong way. That's a big deal to him. And he'll bring judgment and correction. How is it acquired? The next question is, how big of a role does it play in my life? And we addressed that. And I hope you heard, does, who owns who? Another question we wanna ask about our wealth is, how do we use that money? and does that define us? Well, that's a really good question. For a moment, I want to just point out that nobody has the right to tell you how you should spend your money. Nobody has the right to call you up and tell you, if you really love God, you will donate to whatever it is. It's between you and the Lord. There are some keys to handling wealth God's way. But it is interesting, some of the various values that we have in our life that we perceive money should be spent on. You may have the, many of you may have the privilege of being married and some of you may, it may come soon or maybe you're not married any longer, whatever, but you will find that when you get married, you and your spouse have a different background. Have you ever, have you discovered that? Am I the only one? Some of you are terrified to nod your head at this particular moment. One of the things you'll find as a difference in the, in the background of you and your spouse is what money should be spent on, right? And if you don't have a, quickly have some agreement in that area, you're, you're, you're set up for some problems. 
especially if maybe one of you perceives a high value of money is entertainment. Entertainment. We spend money on entertainment. And then someone, your spouse, a high value is, no, we save, save, save. We only save, don't spend any money. You're going to have a collision course in there and some unfriendly conversations about where money is supposed to be. You need to get some agreement. Do you invest in the kingdom of God? What is your giving like? Great questions as we consider the wealth that we have. Is your giving, which nobody here knows, I'm the executive pastor here, I don't know what you make or what you give. That's not a part of my role here. It's not a part of any of our staff's role. You know, there are some religious organizations that will call you up and ask you how much did you make this year and tell you how much you need to give. We don't, we don't do that. We don't, calling, we don't call up your employer and secretly find out, <laughs> oh, look how much they made. Oh, I'm gonna go visit them. No, we don't do that. We need to review our stewardship. Is, is uh, the question I was wanting to ask there is, do you perceive giving to the kingdom of God as one of those high values for the use of wealth? Do you perceive that? Or is it something that you just throw a tip at God every once in a while if the giving Scripture triggers you in some way. Do you need three dreams and a vision before you give in an offering? It's a good question. Some people do because giving to the kingdom of God is low on their value. It's something you have to talk them into. You don't have to talk me into it. I've, I've proved it tried and true. God's promises are true. That I will reap what I sow. I believe it. And it's happened to us, continues to happen to us, and I'm living by it. That I will reap a harvest if I do not give up. I stand on God's word when it comes to giving. Don't worry, we're not receiving an additional offering tonight. That's not the point of the message. The point of the message is a wake-up call on handling wealth. From the book of James. God is speaking to us. Is it a sin to be wealthy? No. But we got to ask those questions about it. The next thing that God is speaking to us is Jesus encourages us to store up treasure in heaven. Store up treasure in heaven. Side note, are you one of those folks that goes ahead on the notes and tries to guess what the answers will be? You know, that's what I do too. I'm getting better at it. It's kind of fun. Did you get that one? That was kind of an easy one, right? Give yourself a high five. What did you put for the next one? Stewards! Hey, did you get that one? Raise your hand. How? Oh, $25,000 pyramid. You win! I think I just dated myself again. 
We are stewards of what God gives us. Absolutely. The next thing that we want to be mindful of is the key to handling wealth is the fear of the Lord. Did you get that one? The fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Ah! Is that what we're talking about? You know, jump scare? Is that what we mean by fear of the Lord? God's going to sneak up behind you and scare you? Ah! Don't turn that into a gif. That's not what fear of the Lord means. <laughs> I mean, if that's what it means, I don't want it. Wow. Uh, I had a friend of mine who, who bought a right off of the, right off the uh, factory Corvette ZO something, six, there you go fully loaded everything. He drives it, this is in Maui, and he drove it straight to the church, went and found me and says, would you like to drive my car? I was terrified. So I sit down in this car, and you may have driven something like that before, and a couple of things that jumped out about me driving this very expensive car is, man, it had a lot of power. And I got a newfound respect for horsepower. When I tap the gas and it throws me back in my seat. So now I'm driving the car knowing what it's capable of. I have a fear of the car, a reverence, an awe and respect for this car. And I was also terrified that somehow a rock would fly up and ding the windshield, and I'm the one driving. But trying to give you a picture of all respect, reverence, fear, that's what we mean by the fear of the Lord. And that is a key to handling wealth. What does God say? The fear of the Lord always makes you ask, whoa, whoa, what, what, does, God, what does God think? What would God say? That's a healthy fear of the Lord, to examine your entire life, your attitudes, the words you say, your responses, what would God say? That's what we're talking about. That's why it's so important, these, these things right here, because we have to remember the things James pointed out. They, with respect to fear of the Lord, it was important for James to point out that they owed people, and they hadn't paid them. That's why it's so important to be a tither, the fear of the Lord. Don't rob people. That puts you at enmity with God. Don't live by greed and fear. Next, balance your life between prudent saving and sinful hoarding. James points out that they're hoarding in the last day. That's significant. You ever watch that show? Gives me nightmares. There's no way I could live like that. That's a picture. You ever watch that show? It's called Hoarders. 
People that can't throw anything away, I, I can't do that. I just can't do that. It just makes me want to go to my house right now and throw everything away, which my wife knows would be a wonderful way for me to live. I could just live in an empty room. So peaceful. No stuff. Pray for my wife. She has to live with me. What are we doing with this? We haven't even picked it up in five years, right? Is anybody along with that? You go out to your garage and you immediately see everything you haven't touched in 10 years. It doesn't really dawn on you until you move somewhere. And it just keeps showing, there's just more of it. This doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about tonight. <laughs> but there's gotta be a balance, not, not leaning over into sinful order, realizing we live in the last day, and then lastly, remember that it was for the love of money that Jesus was betrayed. The love of money is a root, a root of all kinds of evil. So how do we handle worldly wealth? As we wrap up our time, minister, somebody, hey, Minister Toby, come play us something that has to do with don't be enamored with wealth. Do you have a fear of the Lord song? How about I'm going to pay people back what I owe them song? You got one of those? I will pay back. I will pay back what I owe to other people. That's why I don't sing on the worship team. That was pretty good. Maybe we should write songs out of this house about handling wealth the right way. People in the kingdom of God need to hear, need to hear those things. This is a great word. Hear me correctly. God wants to bless and prosper. Every teenager, hear me. God wants to bless you, prosper you. But you've got to handle what he gives you the right way and then he can do more. They're linked together. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.